0: To the Dissident Daughters podcast. This is Ada and I am flying solo again today. Just doing this all by myself. I'm such a big girl. <laughs> okay, that sounded really stupid. <laughs> um, okay, so I have a lot of different things on my mind today and I hope that I can clearly communicate what is on my mind and how, um, the issues happening in the church right now are impacting me and others. And hopefully some of the things that I've gathered today to talk about will be educational for you. So we talked last week about the Associated Press article regarding the sex abuse case, um, in the church in Arizona. And, I mean, this has just been talked about, I'm sure, at great lengths. And there's not much more we can say about it other than the church just has to do better. But a few days after that article came out, the church released... (laughs) An announcement about annual tithing declaration. They said tithing declaration beginning September 1st replaces tithing settlement giving local leaders more time to discuss covenants and the divine commandment of tithing. The First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has announced changes to the end-of-year gathering of local leaders and members about tithing. Latter-day Saints give tithing 10% of their income to the church to honor God's ancient and modern commandment to tithe. Tithing settlement has been an annual meeting held toward the end of each year. In it, a local bishop or branch president meets with individual Latter-day Saints and families to discuss their tithes. This will now be called Tithing Declaration. The change is intended to enhance focus on the principles and blessings of tithing. Tithing declaration will be primarily a learning experience, especially for children and youth, and an opportunity for Latter day Saints to declare their tithing faithfulness. Tithing declaration interviews may now occur as early as September 1st to offer bishops and branch presidents additional time to meet with families and individuals. What a great blessing to have a time dedicated to discussing the divine law of the tithe, said presiding Bishop Gerald Kaze. Tithing is an essential practice of Latter-day Saints, regardless of where they live, their social standing, or their material circumstances. By keeping this law, church members receive spiritual and temporal blessings in their lives and help further the church's divine mission on earth. <sighs> When I saw this (laughs) come out, um, I just couldn't help but think that they are so ignorant and ridiculous. It's, it's kind of, it feels like this thing where they're like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain Look over here, you know, when everybody's talking about this sex abuse scandal and the church's response to it, which was bullshit because they just make excuses and say, oh, they're, you know, misrepresenting us. Bullshit. And then they come out with this declaration. Like, genuinely, I genuinely want to know, like, do members of the church see these things and think wow the prophet is so inspired like it's silly it's like childish it's like on a level that is so ridiculous I just it, it doesn't even add up to me and it's just so interesting to me that the church really does I mean I think it, it shows you how much the church really does care about money. They their central focus when something bad happens is, "Oh, but don't forget to pay your tithing. Let's remind everyone that they should pay their tithing because tithing is an essential part of the gospel." Let's talk about how much money the church has, okay? Let's talk about let's talk about that for a minute. In 2019, there was a whistleblower complaint submitted by Lars Nielsen. If you don't know this story, you should look it up and read it. There is multiple YouTube videos. There's like, there's one that's kind of like a summary that's just like a few minutes, and then and then there's another one that's I don't know, probably like an hour long that goes into all the details of it. But essentially, the story goes that um, there were two brothers uh, LDS members of the church, twin brothers, actually David and Lars Nelson. David ended up working for Enzyme Peak Advisors, which is the 501c3 nonprofit, uh, reserve of the reserves of the church. And he being one of their, uh, top portfolio managers saw that there were major problems with the way they were dealing with their money and they, they, uh, created a complaint to the IRS. So let me tell you really quick, the, a 501 C three is, um, that's like an internal revenue code, um, for that gives you tax exempt status. Okay. It is for a charity and their money is supposed to be used for charitable, religious, or educational purposes. They have other things on there like literary, scientific, testing for public safety, you know, and it kind of goes on to some other like really minor things. But essentially as a religion and as a, being a tax exempt under section 501c3, their money, the money in that account is required to be used for charitable, religious, or educational purposes. Okay. That's how they keep their tax-exempt status. Well, this person, David Nelson, who who worked at Enzyme Peak, noticed that um, hmm, they weren't using their money for charitable, education, or religious purposes. Um, in fact, since the inception of that account in 1985, well, actually, I should go back. the The money that goes into the, F- the Enzyme Peak Advisors Fund, is a reserve of the reserves. So the money that goes into that is just leftover money that the church hasn't used for anything else, okay? So essentially, the church has a budget of $6 billion a year. In that budget is, you know, all the money they need to run the, um, the temples, to build temples, church houses, like all their operating costs. Okay. That includes BYU. That includes, that includes all their charitable donations. Uh, that includes, I don't know, any expenses that are, that includes like paying all the top leadership, you know, their stipends every year, whatever. It includes like the church history stuff, all of that. Right. Okay. So $6 billion. So they bring in, about seven billion dollars in tithing every year. So they have an extra billion dollars above and beyond what they need to run the church, right? So they've been putting that extra billion dollars into this Enzyme Peak Advisors Fund where they invest in stocks and bonds and other mutual funds, anyways, in in the in the market. Okay. So that account has, as of the whistleblower complaint in 2019, had reached over hundred billion dollars. Okay. So one thing to note is that the church has spent about two and a half billion dollars towards charity, given about two and a half billion dollars to charity in the last 37 years years. Okay. So that's about 62 million a year. So if they put a billion dollars into their enzyme peak advisors fund every year, that's about 50 times the amount of money that they give to charity. So, so I want you to think about this number. Okay. 62 million sounds like a great, you know. Hey, they gave $62 million to charity. The problem is they took 50 times that amount and just put it in their reserve account. Okay. The other thing that's interesting to point out, and um, you can go look at, um, I don't know if you guys know Nemo the Mormon, but he does a lot of fact checking um, on issues with the church. And he does a whole thing on, on their financial stuff. And he talked about how... The church takes credit for Latter-day Saint Charities, which is a separate legal entity from the LDS church. Its funds are completely separate. Okay. Um, And they provide humanitarian aid that the church takes credit for. Uh, And Latter-day Saint Charities is 100% funded by individuals in the church. Okay. So it's completely separate from tithing money, you guys. It, they don't even use their own money for humanitarian, okay? The other thing that people try to bring up is the Perpetual Education Fund. Oh, but they're helping, you know, um, underprivileged people get an education. Um, not really, because the Perpetual Education Fund is loans. They are not grants. They do not give any donation. They loan people money and they require it to be paid back with interest. Okay. So it's making them money. It's another, it's another, you know, business that they're running. Okay. All right. So I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, but back to the Enzyme Peak Advisors Fund. (sighs) So the stories with started with this whistleblower complaint in like November or December of 2019. And the church started to kind of panic about you know, oh crap! Everybody knows how much freaking money we have, um, and they decided to. You know, they started coming out with stories about how they're increasing their charitable donations, and and now they're close to a billion dollars per year. But again, keep in mind that Latter Day Saint charity charities is a huge part of that. Um, a few months later, in February 2020, the Wall Street Journal uh, covered this story, right? And they actually visited uh, the EPA. It, Enzyme Peak Advisors and the LDS Church, and they, uh, they, they interviewed leaders of the EPA. So in this, in this story, it noted that the whistleblower report and media reporting on it, um, had heaped pressure on the church to be more transparent about its finances, something that the church has avoided for decades, right? Um, employees they what the journal reported the wall street journal reported was that employees of the firm have to sign lifetime confidentiality agreements and most current employees were no longer told the assets under management figures for the firm meaning they couldn't even know the people who work there their their um portfolio managers and such couldn't even know the total amount of money that they had um so Roger Clark who is the head of the EPA he runs the the EPA he talked to The Wall Street Journal and he told them that it's a rainy day account to be used in difficult economic times they're basically suggesting that the fund you know is going to be used in a financial crisis or something uh, but essentially they don't they don't plan on using any of this except for you know, like preparation of the second coming or, you know, when, when Jesus comes again, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, so in a statement, there, uh, an attorney who specializes in whistleblower complaints and sec matters, They were interviewed and in in their statement, they said, this tithing almost starts to sound like common law fraud. These LDS members are giving their hard-earned dollars to this organization and all of a sudden it's being invested in Apple and Microsoft. Why aren't these people being told what is really happening? Okay, this is super important because one of the things that the whistleblower complaint states and, and they have direct knowledge of this because they worked there, was that in these last, what is it, 22 years or something, uh, while Enzyme Peak has been accumulating this wealth, they have not directly funded any religious, educational, or charitable activities. Okay, so remember what I said in the beginning about the 501c3. It is tax exempt because it is there to be used for charitable religious or educational activities it has never done any of those things in the entire time that this fund has been in existence in the whistleblower complaint he's very critical of church leaders for continuing to like harp on tithes and to you know they still talk to members about how you know even if you're struggling financially you should pay your tithing first Uh, You should pay your tithing before you pay, you know, your electricity bill or feed your family. Um, But like, does that make any sense at all? Like if you knew that, so I I have an example of this. I mean, when I, was probably in my first couple years of being married, we were very poor and I felt really strongly about tithing. I thought that tithing, the law of tithing was so important that number one, if we didn't pay tithing whatever blessings we were getting would be taken away from us. And number two, that if we ever expected any blessings to come, that we had to obey the law of tithing. Now, my husband did not feel so strongly about this. And we had multiple arguments about it when we were super poor and not sure that we could pay all of our bills. Okay. So I remember talking to my husband and being like, but honey, you know, let's, let's test it out. Let's test the law of tithing and see what happens. You know, maybe we, we don't pay our credit card bill and we pay tithing instead. And then let's see what happens. And my husband was just like, nope, we're not doing that. (laughs) And to me, I was like, oh, he lacks faith. He doesn't have enough faith. And, um, I was sad about that, (laughs) but you know, what is so crazy that it had been taught to me that, We should always pay our tithing first, even if we can't pay our bills. So at that time, I try to think back to that time and how poor we were and think, if I had known that the money I paid to tithing would just sit around in this gigantic account with billions of dollars in it until the second coming of Christ, would I actually feel so strongly about paying my tithing? No, I wouldn't. So the thing that's so interesting is I think that it scares the crap out of the church to have people know about that money because they lose control over members behavior. If they, you know, if, if members feel released from that financial obligation by knowing what, how much money they freaking have, or if the church even let up just a little bit and said, you know, pay your tithing if you can, if they did that, they would lose that control over members' behavior. It's part of the bite model. It's part of that behavior control is making sure that members feel obligated to pay their tithing, right? Members of the church have, or sorry, leaders of the church have consistently tried to downplay the extent of the church's wealth. And there's a quote by the, um, Oh crap, the presiding bishop for the church, Kaze, Gerald Kaze. And I think he's, I actually think this quote originally came from a former church prophet, but it says, When all is said and done, the only real wealth of the church is in the faith of its people. <laughs> I think that might have been originally um, Thomas Monson that said that, but I find that really just comical, actually. Um, so, uh, Nelson's estimate, Nelson is the whistleblower, right? Lars Nelson. His estimate of enzyme's assets um, was that the organization was among some of the country's wealthiest companies and charities. okay So we've got like Microsoft uh, and Apple each hold between 100 billion and 136 billion in cash. okay uh, Harvard University has the country's largest academic endowment. At 40.9 billion. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the largest private philanthropic foundation in the world at 47.8 billion. And and here we have, you know, an an estimate, of course, of enzymes assets. And this was back in 2019, was it was over a hundred billion. So Um, one of the things that was part of the IRS complaint was that Enzyme Peak has been used to bail out church run companies or, uh, well, okay. So, so what Nielsen claimed is that over the 22 years, they have never used one dime for, um, religious charitable or educational purposes. What they have done, the only money that has come out of that Enzyme Peak account is $2 billion, which, was used to bail out the church-run insurance company and a shopping mall in Salt Lake City. So we are talking about uh, the City Creek Center. One point four billion was taken out of the Enzyme Peak account during between two thousand nine and twenty fourteen into the City Creek Center. Right, shopping mall has a. I mean, it's gorgeous retractable roof, fountains, all kinds of stuff, right? And and expensive stores and all this kind of stuff. At this time, when money was being pumped into City Creek Center, leaders of the church said over and over and over again that tithes would that no money from tithes would be spent on developing the mall. They claimed that, you know, it was a it was a a separate venture that money from church donations that donations and ties were not being used for it. The other uh, amount of that two billion that went out went to bail out oh my gosh, now I lost. Oh beneficial life. So in 2009, beneficial life was going under and enzyme spent uh, about... $600 million? Is that right? I don't know if I'm doing my math right. But anyways, rescuing that insurance firm. It had, you know, there was that, that financial crisis, right? And so they had mortgage-backed securities and they were going under. So Enzyme Peak bailed them out. Okay. So there's a story where They talked with a retired IRS counsel, Mark Barnes. He litigated cases with the IRS for about three decades. He also happens to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he said that if the reports are accurate, then yes, the church has done something wrong. Uh, The tax-exempt status held here comes with responsibility. The government expects the money collected by a nonprofit to be used for charitable acts. But if that is not happening, that's a problem. So if that's the case, what happens next? We are told the whole thing will, of course, be investigated by a division of the IRS. However, that investigation can take years, right? And, and this started clear back in, uh, well, two years ago. So they could receive penalties that could range, you know, from nothing all the way up to potential criminal charges. But my guess is that nothing will ever happen to them because the church is too powerful and is able to basically weasel their way out of everything. So Enzyme Peak employees are told that the only goal of Enzyme Peak is financial growth. Uh, the money will never be used for anything except Armageddon and after the second coming of Christ. Uh, I have a feeling that the IRS would not view those as legitimate tax-exempt purposes, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the uh, reality of it. So in the whistleblower complaint, they, you know, they spill all this out and basically say that because of all of these reasons, their tax exempt status should be taken away and retroactively withdrawn. If that were to happen, they could owe as much as $20 billion in taxes and lose their tax exempt status going forward. The other thing that Lars Nilsson said in his letter to the IRS was that the church Actually, so when we're when we're saying there's a hundred billion, you know, dollars, that's just in the Enzyme Peak Fund. Okay, that does not include any of their real estate or any of their other businesses that they run. Their actual worth is closer to a minimum of two hundred billion. Okay, so they have had a sustained intent to deceive, which equals fraud. Okay. The church does not need our money. It's essentially irrelevant at this point. If everybody just stopped paying tithing, the church would never run out of money. Um, They make enough on just interest alone in that Enzyme Peak account to run all of the church's operating costs. Now they just, they want to require tithing because it's still just about the control. And they can tell who are the most faithful by who's paying their tithing. They can move up the ranks of the church if they are faithful tithe payers. The church doesn't need our money anymore. They need power and control. And that's all they care about. One thing to note is when they try to say that, you know, the money is there for a rainy day. Okay. In 2020, the church made, let's see. Yeah. During the pandemic, so maybe it was 2020 and 2021, the church made $22 billion in their stock portfolio alone. That was reported by the Salt Lake Tribune. Okay. What did they do if the pandemic was not a rainy day? I don't know what is. What did they do to help people who lost their jobs, who got sick, who, you know, could no longer afford their mortgage payments? Like, What did they do to help people during the pandemic? The only things I know that they did was they had worldwide fasts. They did nothing else. In fact, (laughs) this is quite laughable, actually, that in July of 2020, the church actually raised the monthly charge paid by families to cover the cost of their children serving as missionaries from $400.00 to $500 per month. So (laughs) the church could have, first of all, missionary work was an absolute shit show during 2020, right? We all know that. And they could have just simply helped people who had missionaries and said, guess what? The church is going to pick up the tab for missionaries right now. And they could do that incredibly easy, right? Incredibly easy. That would, that would be like pennies to them to just take on the cost of all missionaries but no instead of doing that they actually increased how much people have to pay for sending their missionaries to live in an apartment and try to give away book of mormons on facebook marketplace i don't know i mean missionary work is an absolute shit show right now i just i don't even i don't even understand it anymore So I wanted to point out, I wanted to go back to the 501c3 and I want to talk about why this is such a big deal. So there's a couple of charities that I have looked into and that I really love, and they are both 501c3s. One of them is called Together Rising. It is the founder and president of Together Rising is Glennon Doyle. I'm sure you've probably heard of her. Um, The other one that I love is Legacy Collective. Now, this one is uh, another 501c3 and it was started by Jen Hatmaker and a few others. Okay, But the thing that I find really interesting is like when I was kind of researching these different things, I wanted to see because I I give a monthly donation to Legacy Collective and um, to Together Rising. And you can go and Google them. You can look up their websites. You can immediately find their impact reports, which talks about how much money they have given and where they have given it to and when. And in all the ways, all their financials are spelled out. You can also do this with Mormon Discussions. You can look them up. You can look at all their financials. They are 100% transparent about their financials. Now, I would challenge you to find... The church's financials, the Enzyme Peak Advisors financial records. I would challenge you. I I would love to know if anybody can find this information. It's probably possible at some point, but I'm pretty sure you have to be like the smartest person in the world to be able to find it because I couldn't find any information. Even going, you know, going to the church's website and trying to look up how much money they've given to charity. There's nothing. There is, well, okay, maybe I shouldn't say there's nothing. There's very, very, very little information. They want to say, oh, we, you know, we did this charitable event and we, we gave this money, blah, blah, blah. And, and they'll say little things, but here's the thing. They are not financially transparent. They are not putting it all out there and saying, this is all the money that we've brought in and this is the money we've given out. Um, and where it has gone. They are not doing that. You can look up any other 501c3 company and you can very easily from their very first you know, page on the internet, you can find a, a place to click on to find out their impact, meaning where their money is going and how much money is going. It takes about three seconds. But when you go to try to find out where the church's money is going... It's like this complete rabbit hole and I just got lost in it. Like there was literally, I couldn't find anything that was helpful at all to be able to give actual numbers. Um, the only way we know the numbers is by whistleblower complaints, essentially. <laughs> People who are coming out and and giving the numbers um, when they're not supposed to. So the thing that makes me really angry about that is for 40... Hmm, Two years of my life, I gave religiously to the church. I believed that my money was going to charitable causes that were worthy and that were helping the world. I mean, I made no effort, none whatsoever, because I just trusted the church. I made no effort to find out what they were doing with my money. I trusted them completely. I remember even saying out loud to people like, I'm so glad that I can just give my money to the church and I know it's going to a good cause. And now I think about that and it's just absolutely laughable. It's laughable that anyone ever thought that 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 was helping the world in any way, shape or form. Here's the thing. The members of the church are incredibly charitable And they are incredibly giving and loving people who want to do good in the world. And the church has convinced them that the way they do the most good is by giving money to the church. And I'm telling you, it's just not true. Part of the stuff that I listened to from Nemo the Mormon on his fact-checking stuff was so interesting because he was saying how the church could tell, you know, all their members, hey, give your tithing to a charitable, another charitable donation, right? Or another, another 501c3, whatever, nonprofit. And they could allow members to, if they took all of their tithing and gave it to other organizations, think about the impact that that could have. That would be billion out into the world. Think about $7 billion. That is so much money that the church is getting that they do not need. They could still, they could still try to like, they could still have a tithing declaration. They could still say, we want you to show us that you are giving 10% of your income to charity, right? There, There are still ways to do that, but to say, Give your money to another charity because we don't need it. They do not need it. Imagine $7 billion going out into the world in other ways to actually help the world. And, And not only that, but the church could, you know, the church could take half of their enzyme peak fund and literally end world hunger, single handedly end world hunger. But what do they do? They sit on it. It literally sits in a bank account just earning interest for a rainy day. The fact that Mormons are giving their hard-earned money to the church, sometimes in replacement for even paying their bills so that this church can just make more and more and more money is so maddening to me. It's so incredibly frustrating and maddening. And I wish I could shake every person I know who is giving their tithing and say, give it to something that is actually a worthy cause that is actually doing good in the world. And A second note I wanted to make about this is the church has something called the welfare system. And essentially, you are supposed to be able to go to your bishop when you are in financial crisis and get help for paying your bills or putting food on the table, right? But everyone that I have talked to and every story that I've ever heard about people using the welfare system has included a ton of shame. Um, The bishops are trained and told to ask the person, did you ask everyone else in your family first? Have you already asked everyone else you know? So essentially, (laughs) this is super ironic. They ask you to pay your tithing first before you do anything else. But when you need help, you need to ask them last. You need to ask everyone else first before you ask them. They also ask you, can you serve and earn this charity? Essentially, like, can you help clean the building? Can you, you know, do these things? Never mind the fact that most likely you've given tithing your whole life, served in all the callings they've ever asked you to do, donated fast offerings. Maybe you've served a mission, you know, all these things. And they still make you feel bad for asking for help. They don't want you to become reliant on the church. In, in order to get help from the church, you have to serve and earn the help. You can't be a drain on the system. They treat you as if you'll take advantage of the system. They make you feel like it's your fault. You don't deserve the help, whatever, right? I have multiple sisters who were in this situation at one time. One of my sisters was required to take a self-reliance class when her and her husband asked for help from the church. Um, They just got into a financial crisis and they needed help and they were required to take a self-reliance class. Um, Another sister, her husband was out of work and they asked for help from the church and they got some help, but then the bishop would send them the schedule that they were scheduled to clean the church. Not asking them to clean the church, but just assigning them, jobs to clean the church. I just have to ask, like is this how Jesus would run this program? Would Jesus would Jesus question someone's need and make them feel bad about asking for help? I mean, We are led to believe that the church's welfare program is the best in the world and that other welfare programs, they're constantly looking to the church for, um, you know, tips and tricks on how to do this. It's ridiculous. I was listening to, um, Maven Brody when she did her interview on Mormon stories and she talks about this and it legitimately made me cry how shamed she felt for taking money for going to the Bishop's storehouse and getting food. They don't allow you to take food off the shelves yourself. They make somebody else do it for you. They make somebody else walk with you and go over the checklist with you and decide what you need. And it's just the most shaming process like they just make you feel like absolute garbage for asking for help. And this coming from somebody who had always given tithing. She had just served a mission. I mean, it's incredibly sad to me how little they actually care about people and how much they care about preserving their own money and and keeping the control, right? And, and keeping you in your place, Um, making sure that you are humbled, (laughs) that you don't feel too good about yourself (laughs) because that's what they need, right? They need us to feel like losers, to feel like we are, you know, less than, and, and besides all of that, why is the church building more and more and more temples that are costing millions and millions and hundreds of millions and billions of dollars per year when church growth is not matching the number. I mean, it used to be that temples were only built when they had certain a certain number of members, active members. Temple recommend holding members in an area. They no longer use any of those metrics to decide where to put a temple. Now it's just about buying real estate and putting buildings up to make it look, make it appear that the church is growing. The church is not growing. The membership numbers are shrinking. There is close to zero growth. And the only growth that's happening is basically, you know, births, people being born into the church, right? They are not getting new converts um, in any sort of significant number to increase the number of temples that are being built. It's it's very similar to what Scientology did um, and maybe is still doing. I don't know. But when I watched um, the Scientology documentary and they talked about how they basically had to hide their wealth in real estate. And so they kept building these big extravagant buildings. And guess what? They sit empty. This is what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is doing. They are exactly like Scientology. It is insane to me. And do you guys ever feel like you just wish so much that you could tell the people around you who are still drinking the Kool-Aid, who are still stuck in that bubble? Don't you ever wish you could just shake them and tell them the truth and make them see what you see, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. I, um, it makes me think of, have you guys ever seen Smallfoot? It's this story about these yetis who, you know, believe that humans are not real, first of all. And they have all these stories about what is happening in the world. Essentially, like they're creating, like they have this little, you know, village that is on a cloud that is you know the clouds are made by (laughs) they have all these different theories about how things are happening and like the sun is a snail that comes up in the sky and they have to do all these things to make the things happen every day and (laughs) they live in this absolute bubble um is there a it's a stone teller or stone keeper or something basically the elder of the village. And he has all these rules that are written in stone that he wears on this giant like coat thing he has. Anyways, this one little yeti, what's his name, Migo or something? And he he goes out and he actually sees a small foot, a human. And then when he comes back to the village and tells everybody that there's a small foot, they don't believe him. And then the elder, the stone keeper or whatever he's called, like basically threatens him and tells him that he has to change his story or he's going to get kicked out of the village and and all of this stuff. And it's, it's like shocking and it's um, like earth shattering for him to discover that the things that he's been taught his entire life are not true and that what the leader had told him were the rules were not actually real, legitimate rules. It's so... Oh, it's if you guys have not seen this movie, it's crazy how much it aligns with what exactly a faith crisis feels like. Because this little yeti, <laughs> he's just like, but I know I saw a small foot, and and you know, and then like his whole foundation starts to crumble, and it's so funny because it just feels so much like what a faith crisis is. So if you haven't seen that movie, go see it. It's or, you know, find it. It's probably on Disney Channel or something, Disney Plus. That makes me want to go watch it again actually because it's been a couple years since I've seen it, but it's so good. And that's basically it. That's all I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> um is just how, you know, if you really want to make an impact and donate to charities that are doing good in the world. I'm just so happy that I get to choose where my money goes now instead of just giving it to the church and believing that they were doing something good with it. I'm just so happy that now I can feel really good about where my money's going and what it's being used for and that it's not just sitting in a rainy day fund for the second coming. I mean, how ridiculous is that, you guys? Do we actually think that when Jesus comes, he's gonna like, we're gonna need our money? Like, it just doesn't even make sense, you guys. It does not make sense. Anyways, find a good charity, find uh, a good place to give your money that is actually doing good in the world. And you'll feel a lot better about where your money is going when you're able to do that. And just my little plug for Legacy Collective. And Together Rising, they're both really good. Um, there's also the um, International Justice Mission. I love them as well. Um, there's lots. There's lots of places that you can give your money to that are actually doing good with it. And they're actually being financially transparent about their where their money is going, which is what they're supposed to be doing. But of course, the church gets away with not doing anything they're supposed to be doing for some reason. I don't know why, because they're just... So big and powerful and rich. I don't know. So that's it. You know, a really great way that you could use your tithing money is to donate to this podcast. (laughs) Um, Click on donation on our website. You can go to Mormon Discussions. You can go to dissidentdaughters.org, mormondiscussions.org, and you can donate. You can set up a monthly donation for like five bucks, guys. And it really helps us to be able to do, keep doing this podcast and I would just really appreciate it. It, it would be awesome. All of the money given to Mormon discussions is, you know, they are financially transparent about what they're, you know, what money they get and how much goes to what. So if you can donate, if you can't, if you can barely make your rent payments, don't donate to this podcast, Okay. Pay your bills. (laughs) I don't expect you to pay me first. (laughs) Also, anyone who would like to share their story in a podcast episode with me, I would love it. I have several more coming up that are scheduled. I love when people reach out with questions and comments or just want to tell me their story. I love it. I love it so much. So keep doing it. I love all the positive feedback. I love doing this. This has been a lot of fun, um, and I hope to be able to keep doing it. So I will see you next time. Thanks, everybody.